I know I'm speaking for Howie and all the staff uh, here at IMS and the other teachers and administrators that, and people who've come before us here and made gifts of their time and energy to keep this place open and running and heated really for you, for every one of you and every one of us to be able to do this kind of work together, this coming away from our regular life and spending some time in silence together, the ability to be kind of in solitude on retreat and yet supported by one another. This kind of group meditation, practice, ritual has been going on for thousands of years in the Buddhist tradition and in many other spiritual traditions. It's kind of a uh, deeply human thing to do, to look inside. So I honor all of you for coming and for volunteering for this. Um, I want to also say that IMS is a place of welcome for people of all kinds of backgrounds, ages, abilities, sexual orientations, diverse backgrounds, class, skin color, all of that. Though the demographics of this retreat may not reflect that intention, the welcome is very deep for each of us here and also even maybe more deeply for whatever we bring for as we practice in meditation to learn to welcome our experience in all the shapes and sizes that it has. Um, It's all um, able to be here with us, the beauty and the pain. And it's really through finding this welcome for what we're experiencing and for who we are that we deepen our practice, that we find actual happiness in harmony with the way we are, not some other way, not becoming something else. When I was on, in the car on the way here, I was thinking, like, is this the Buddha's way to happiness or the Buddha's way of happiness? And I thought maybe of, it had to be of, because to makes it seem like you're going somewhere else. But anyway, it's a, that's a word thing, two letters. And one, both of them have an O, so it could be T-O or O-F, but it's up to you. <laughs> Maybe we'll change it. Correct the whole retreat by having the wrong title. <laughs> no, ah, no. We've been doing it for four years with the wrong title already. <laughs> People who came last year, you were misled. <laughs> we'll try to fix it. <laughs> So um, Eckhart Tolle says, there are three words that hold the secret of life, the secret of success and happiness. One with life. One with life. To be one with life means being one with the now. And to be one with the now means just to be with the experience that you're having. So the idea of being one with life doesn't mean that you have to go and become like a tree or something. You just have to be really you as you are right now. Nonetheless, we all find ourselves in all kinds of distorted 
positions vis-a-vis -vis what's arising in our experience, and there's a tremendous array of supportive teachings to help us like see clearly how to be present, how to be kind, and to see more deeply into our true nature of our mind, uh, radiant, clear, unobstructed, and able to know everything that happens to us. There's a story of an old person who had never heard a violin played before, and they were passing by a window and they heard a young person taking their first or second violin lesson, and if you know what that sounds like, it's like, you know, like that, and they said, what's that? Oh, it's a violin. He said, that sounds terrible. And they said, well, no, it's not like that. And later on, the same person who had never heard a violin heard someone who was a real virtuoso playing the violin and said, oh, that's, that's really different. That's really amazing. Um, and then the next piece of this story is they went to hear a symphony orchestra with a whole lot of master musicians playing all kinds of different instruments, all beautifully tuned and skillful. And by the end of the retreat, that's going to be you guys. You're going to be <laughs> like that orchestra. Um, or maybe a little bit, um, at least making some noises with your strings. We don't know. The idea in uh, the Buddhist tradition is that happiness is uh, actually something that we could call a skill. That engaging with our life in a way that's more and more gentle and kind and harmonious and... Um, enhancing of our well-being, it's called a skill, which really feels encouraging to me that it's something that we can develop. So the technique and the practice that we'll be doing here is to learn more skillful ways of living in this art of living that we're all engaged in. And I'm not, I can't be sure what brought each person here, but I imagine that for each of you there's something quite deep that you might be questioning about your life or about life in general or something that you know you need to learn. And it seems to me that quickly or slowly this kind of meditation practice really does help resolve some of the deepest uh, questions that we might have about our life and where we fit and the nature of things. But it's, it's kind of a gentle thing. It takes a while sometimes. Like some things happen quickly, others happen over a lifetime of engagement with meditation in this form or some other form. So just a couple of things about um, how to get the most out of your practice here. We'll be offering the refuges and precepts and then a short sitting in this uh, session this evening. Um, and in the course of the retreat, each of you will have one uh, meeting with a teacher over the next coming days. With the number of you and the duration of the retreat, that's kind of how it can work. We'll see people on alternate days, but everyone will meet uh, once with one of us. Back to the recommendations of what to do. Um, let it all hang in, as somebody, one of my friends said. Just let yourself feel natural, uh, let yourself feel like you belong here, um, let your mind be at peace with itself if you can, 
tune your heart to compassion for yourself and for all of those around us. We're all here um, bringing so many things from our life. Like everyone has a life with plenty of suffering in it. So um, just remember that as we are circling around one another. It's good to be on time to the sittings and the daily brainwashing sessions that we offer in the morning and evening. (laughs) Actually, I like that word, brainwashing. Sometimes when I was in my resentful doubting phase at the back of the meditation hall, I would think that's what it was. They're just brainwashing me, you guys. But it's kind of cleansing. It's like um, taking a bath, um, I hope. Anyway, um, on time to the sittings, um, let yourself be simple and quiet and really do try to, to be in the retreat. It's not a very long time, and there will be times when you find yourself um, wishing that you were anywhere but here or you had a TV or something like that. But at those times, just acknowledge the quality of resistance and see if you can be gentle. And it may be that you might need to go for some extra sitting or walking. We'll uh, be talking more about that in the coming days. But remember that this is um, experience. The whole way that this retreat format is designed um, is to help you be intimate with your own experience. That's how. That's what we hope to achieve: is to have you be able to look deeply inside yourself for your own benefit and well-being, and for the well-being of everyone that you know, and um, sort of the uplifting of life in general in this world. Einstein said the real, he was talking about nuclear weapons, he said the real problem is in the hearts and minds of people. It's not a problem of physics, but of ethics. It's easier to denature plutonium than to clean the spirit of a person. That sounds a little bit like it's too hard to do and we shouldn't try, but actually what this path is about is that we can um, open our heart and sort of clean up our act um, and find that we're all really at the bottom, at the deepest level, quite pure and perfect as we are. So um, I guess that's all that I'd like to say at the moment and if Howie would like to say something and then also offer the refuges. Thank you. I'd like to add my welcome to all of you. Recognized a few familiar faces, and um, for those of you I haven't met, I'll look forward to getting to know you a little more and hearing about your practice. This is a, um, it's very rare for anyone to do what we're doing here. Although it has been done now for, as Leela said, for, didn't you just say 2,600 years? Or did I think that? Thousands. Thousands. 2,600 years people have been doing just what we're doing. And I find it useful at the beginning of a retreat to to consider how, um, how different it is from the way that we generally live our lives. I, I think in terms of the instructions that we're given in daily life, which is basically uh, think all day or get lost in thought, uh, 
uh, feed your wanting mind, gratify every desire, uh, cling, hold tightly, try to control yourself and everything. And, uh, and you can see the effect of that has, has made, a, made us, um, has brought us very innocently into a state of, of constriction and contraction. And we have the, the good fortune of, of meeting with people over the years. And, and what Leela says about the inherent purity of the heart and mind, it shines through so beautifully when the conditions are created for, for us to feel safe, to, uh, to have our mind in the same location as our body instead of two years ahead, two months ahead, or the, even the end of the retreat. The more we settle back, our, our innate uh, wisdom and heartfulness just shines through. So I'm particularly happy to uh, have, be able to have that experience again and again. And so I'm th- I thank you for coming to the retreat. Uh, and of course, if you weren't here, I wouldn't be able to be here. So thank you on that, on that score as well. But partly the reason that the teachings and the practice has been a, um, a vital and living, we can call it a living transmission over the last 2,600 years, is because it, um, it, it touches us. It, it awakens us to a kind of intimacy with ourselves and with life that most of our obsessive focus on what's next on tomorrow just doesn't do. And because people have been touched, they have, they've translated that into supporting those who, who, uh, who have shared teachings. And because of their, this mutual support that's gone on for 2,600 years, we're all sitting here tonight. And, and how each person is touched how you will be touched, hopefully, by the practice, really depends on uh, going against the stream of what you usually do. And there are basically three things that we, because we're all vulnerable, we're all tender, we all, we all uh, have a difficult time, really, dealing with what we call the, the worldly winds, praise and blame, fame, shame, gain, loss, pleasure, pain, these winds blow through our lives and we're all, it's really hard for us to find a a steady place. We're all vulnerable. And daily life, we tend to try to deal with that by keeping really, really busy. And unfortunately, that hasn't made made anyone more secure. In fact, uh, a woman named Amy Krauss Rosenthal just put it so succinctly just describing what we what you will come what you come to the retreat with but what our general tendency of mind is how we deal with life she says how have you been this is a a dialogue how have you been busy how was work busy how was your week good busy you name the question busy is the answer Yes, yes, I know we're all terribly busy doing terribly important things, but I think more often than not, busy is simply the most acceptable knee-jerk response. Certainly there are more interesting, more original, more accurate ways to answer the question, how are you? 
I'm hungry for a burrito. I'm envious of my best friend. I'm frustrated by everything that's broken in my home. I'm itchy, yet busy, stands alone as the easiest way of summarizing all that you do and all that you are. I'm busy is the short way of saying, implying my time is filled, my phone does not stop ringing, and you therefore should think well of me. Have people always been this busy? Did cavemen think they were busy too? This week is crazy. I've got about 10 caves to draw on. Can I meet you by the fire next week? So I think you get the point. So obsessed with busyness and productivity, and it hasn't, unfortunately, made anyone truly happy. So we go against that stream by, rather than dealing with our vulnerability by going out of ourselves, by busying ourselves, we instead settle back. And we traditionally, and this is part of the uh, formal beginning of every practice period, traditionally we agree to at least experiment with uh, using three alternate uh, refuges for our, for, uh, for our safety, for our, um, to bring some kind of relief, some kind of, of settledness in our hearts. We go to uh, what's called the Buddha. And traditionally, you know, there are many levels that one can view going to the Buddha. You can think of going to the Buddha as thinking about this human being that stopped, that did all this practice, that woke up, and then taught those things that he realized. And we can, take, uh, we can take some inspiration and support from the example of a human being awakening. But what Buddha means is awake. So the first one, the first refuge, alternate refuge from busy and distraction is being awake and aware to what's happening, as Leela pointed to before. So we go to the Buddha for refuge. So if we, at any point in this retreat, if you're, I don't mean awake as opposed to asleep, I mean if you're aware of what's happening, if you know that you're sitting, know that you're hearing, know that you're smelling, know that you're tasting, know that you're thinking, if there is a shift from being completely lost in whatever's happening to noticing it, then you are, you could say, one with the Buddha. You're awake. There's no higher mountain to climb than that moment of knowing what's happening. Because once you know what's happening, even difficult things become workable. If you don't know what's happening, we wander a long time confused. So we simply want to wake up and notice what's going on. That's the first refuge. The the second refuge is in, uh, in finding, rather than trying to get on to the next experience, Settling into making as your path the very experience you're having. This is called taking refuge in the Dharma, in the truth. The truth about what's happening. The truth about not only what's happening, but how what's happening behaves when you notice it. What's its nature? You, so being with the flow of experience. As you, we can all reflect on, there's a flow of our experience. One experience leads to another, to another, to another. Being with the flow of experiences, being in harmony, in tune with the truth of the unfolding of our life. And that's all we're doing here, moment by moment. We don't have to, uh, it's not about the next moment that hasn't happened, the one that's happened before. It's about 
taking refuge in the Dharma, the truth of what's happening right now. There are many levels of Dharma or truth, and it's it's telling ourselves the truth. It's 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 that sense of being ourselves, authentic, as Leela was speaking about, is coming back to ourselves. But in the most immediate sense, it's whatever's going on. It's the truth. So this is very different than uh, taking refuge, as we do in our daily life, in what I want to happen. This is why poets like Rumi, I always think of this when I'm talking about the Dharma. He, on one of his poems, he said, failure is the key to the kingdom or queendom within. Your prayer should be, break the legs of what I want to happen. Humiliate my desire. Eat me like candy. It's spring, and finally I have no will. And when we, we want to just exhaust, we, we want to, we, we just get so exhausted by that constant state of wanting things to be different than the way they are. So here we say, I'm going to find relief in things as they are. And not in some grand scheme, but just moment by moment. So we take refuge in the Buddha, being awake, putting our trust in the capacity to be aware, putting our, taking refuge in the Dharma, and whatever we are aware of. And then finally, and this is what's very unique to a, a retreat uh, where we are, um, are pra- we are alone, we're practicing solitude, but we're alone together. And uh, the third refuge is taking refuge in the Sangha. Sangha is community, uh, and especially community that is associating with truth, the community that's associated with awakening and being awake. And that that kind of community, Sangha, this kind of community, has a certain lifting power, like a flock of birds, how they support each other, a flock of geese. One flies alone not so, not so buoyantly uh, compared to the, the lifting effect of, of the whole flock. And so we rely on, we take refuge in the tremendous support, that sacred power of practicing with others. And for me, this is uh, every year. This grows more in in importance and meaning. Is I've been leading a community in San Francisco for the last uh, 28 years, and that just having that contact has been an amazing lifeblood. But I've also seen the difference between with working with a lot of people. The difference between uh, what it's like to practice home alone, which I always recommend that people develop some daily practice and self-reliance, but how much support people get from practicing with others, both in daily life uh, groups and on retreat. So I really want, would invite you to take full advantage of the lifting support of practicing with each other. And in my practice here at IMS, both Leela and I spent a lot of time on your side of the cushion, um, being yogis here. We call them meditators yogis here. And I, on my early retreats, I didn't really know how to practice. I just, sometimes I'd sit there and I'd say, you know, I'm kind of bored or feel like doing something else. But then I would see someone else who was sitting like a mountain 
or somebody who seemed to be walking very mindfully. And in either case, they may have been completely lost in thought or spaced out. But just their presence was a huge support for me. So we go to the Buddha for refuge, go to the Dharma for refuge, we go to the Sangha for refuge. It's an alternative way of finding happiness because we've tried the other. And it unfortunately hasn't made anybody truly happy. And we will, of course, elaborate over the course of the retreat about what we really mean by happiness. Uh, because the ordinary happiness and the happiness of a Buddha are, are, um, are not exactly the, the same thing. The happiness of a Buddha encompasses ordinary happiness, but it, it points to something much more reliable and unshakable that each of us has as our uh, true nature and as our capacity. So one of the ways that we formalize this uh, alternative, alt- alternate uh, way of seeking refuge, of support, is to uh, chant it in the, in the Pali language, the, the same language that it's been chanted in for thousands of years. And it reminds us that we're not just up to some kind of new age uh, self-help practice, but something that's been tried and, and been a living uh, practice for all of these years. So we'll do this call and response. You don't have to know it. And I'll just do a very a one-line introduction, then I'll tell you when to come in. And just consider that for this period, uh, you will take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. It doesn't mean you're joining a club. It means you're willing to see for yourself uh, what the effect is of going uh, in the direction of, of immediacy, going the, in the direction of accepting moment-to-moment experience as it is, and going to the support of each other. Hantamayan buddharatana satinayan jakaromase namo tasa, your turn, namo tasa bhagavato arahato Arato Sama Sambudasa Sama Sambudasa Namotasa Namotasa Bhagavato Bhagavato Arahato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Sama Sambudasa Namotasa Namotasa Bhagavato Bhagavato Arahato Arahato Sama Sambhutasa Sama Sambhutasa Buddham Saranam Gachami Buddham Saranam Gachami Dhammam Saranam Gachami Dhammam Saranam Gachami Sangham Saranam Gachami Sangham Saranam Gachami Dutiampi Dutiampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Buddham Saranam Gachami Dutiampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami Dhammam Saranam Gachami Dutiampi Dutiampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Sangam Saranam Gachami Tatiampi 
Tatiampi Budam Saranam Gachami Budam Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Tatiampi Dhamam Saranam Gachami Dhamam Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Tatiampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Sangam Saranam Gachami I go to the Buddha for refuge, the Dharma for refuge, the Sangha for refuge, three times. So that was the first half of the, uh, the formal rituals that we do on the first night. And Leela will do the, um, the second half. And then we'll have a little stretch and then a sitting. So I hope you have a wonderful retreat. So the second part is taking the five precepts. And it, as we take refuge in one another, we're forming here a temporary community. And these five precepts are ways of keeping the community safe, safe so that we can really open up and let go and compassionate and um, easy to work with. And the first one, they also orient our mind toward uh, ethics. and, And it's really an ethics of compassion. It's being able to see, first of all, how the five activities that we're saying uh, not to do are either harmful or sort of complicated for the retreat. So um, not always harmful, but for ourself and for others. So the first one is uh, to take have the intention and practice not killing through the retreat. So... That's obvious that uh, we really want you all to leave here in one piece. And now that I say it, it's not actually in this world of mass shootings and stuff like that. It's actually a, you know, something that might come up as a serious you know, fear in coming into a group of people now, a days. It's not going to happen here. But we also affirm ourselves as a safe community in this way. In Buddhist tradition, we uh, have the intention not to kill any beings at all, like not even little small ones, little ones with many legs. Um, Knowing how much each being treasures their own life, knowing how much uh, life is the most precious thing to each of us, that we extend the uh, support for other beings to continue their life and to continue their purpose and to fulfill themselves as best they can. So along with practicing the precept of not killing, we also practice respect and support and kindness and offering safety to one another emotionally or by our presence. So I'd like you all to just turn your hearts to that intention and inside yourself undertake the precept of not killing during this period of the retreat, not killing and uh, respecting life.
In a way, it also means not obliterating other beings or ourself with our mind and our mind. We're all really part of life. As hands are part of one, two hands, arms and legs are part of one body, we're all kind of part of this body of life. And we can start to really see that if we respect life in this way. The second precept is not to take what hasn't been given or not to steal. Meaning that we um, have our things that we brought with us and we would all like to know that our cushions and shawls and everything are safe from all the other people. Like if you see somebody's shawl that you like, you don't just grab it. Um, and it's a way of keeping a safe community here. And there really isn't that, that kind of thing just doesn't happen here because of the precept, I think, because of the container and the respect of each other. That if you leave your something hanging on the pegs, you know it'll still be there. The other side of this is to practice generosity and satis- first satisfaction with what we have and who we are and what our life is kind of thing. To really develop a sense of contentment with what we receive and maybe even gratitude for all everything that brought us here that supports us from moment to moment to be able to discover the truth and to be willing to give and to be willing to open beyond the boundary of just benefiting ourself. So not to take what hasn't been given, but also to be willing to give generously both to yourself and to other beings. This one's based on compassion also, just knowing how easy how much we care about our stuff, or maybe even if we don't care about it, we still need our toothbrush or whatever it is, how it would helps everybody feel calm. So in whatever way um, works for you, there may be th- things that you would like to add to this internally, but I would just like each of us to turn our mind to the precept of not taking what hasn't been given, and for the period of the retreat to undertake this precept The third precept uh, for the period of the retreat is to abstain from sexual activity. And that keeps the retreat very simple. Um, Imagine if we were all acting on whatever thoughts and ideas pass through our mind of that sort. Um, It would be impossible to maintain solitude. So for the period of the retreat, we practice celibacy but it's actually, um, and this works for husbands and wives or um, people who don't have partners to not bug someone else who's in their practice and not leaving little flowers. There aren't flowers now, but little flowers for them or little notes or that kind of thing. Just to not intrude upon one another's experience, to leave each person in their integrity, including yourself. But the flip side of this precept as non-stealing is generosity and non-killing is respecting or participating in life is to practice intimacy with yourself through the period of the retreat to really um, 
have that willingness to connect with yourself above all. That's how this practice works. It will help you. Um, some of you who are getting CEUs probably know this, that the more deeply we can connect in ourselves, the more deeply we can connect uh, with others. So to take this precept of celibacy also to mean um, to cultivate a real quality of intimacy inwardly. So uh, please turn your mind and undertake this precept for yourself for the period of the retreat. And it doesn't mean that sexuality isn't a beautiful thing. And we'll, you're definitely going to be released from this at the end of the retreat to explore the joy of interconnection with other beings after the retreat is done. If you wish, or if that's how you live anyway. Not to go on and on about that. <laughs> I got in big trouble once talking about intimacy with yourself in this period. In this period. <laughs> during the period of the retreat, anyway. (laughs) Um, So the fourth one out of five is uh, the precept about speech. And in recognizing the power that words and thoughts and concepts and uh, the things that we say actually has a lot of influence. And probably many of us can remember really amazingly beautiful things that were said to us in our life and also kind of things that were hurtful that have been said to us and how those things um, really influence us. This great method of relationship and culture, which is speech and language that um, is part of the human treasury of intelligence. So there's a lot of um, teaching about speech in life in the Buddha's tradition about how to speak truthfully and kindly and at the right time and if you have to say something harsh, you say it. If you know the other person will be able to learn from it, and if not, you really try to question whether you're going to say it. You know, all those things. Those are there's plenty about how to talk. But during the retreat, we ask you to maintain silence as a med- part of the meditation practice. And this means, as I'm sure it was explained to you, also silence of the devices, um, which is become taking up increasingly more time in everybody's life or most of our lives, I imagine. Also reading and writing. Um, If you have a practice of writing in a journal, if you need to do it, please keep it to a very short period of the day and, you know, close the book on that. Um, There'll be plenty of language coming from the front, like spoken word. This is actually a spoken transmission tradition as well as having a lot of texts, but this immediacy of the teaching uh, from here is what we would like you to have for your support if possible. The other piece about speech is um, the silence, listening to, you can even listen to silence, you can even find a way of listening to a kind of internal silence that's very beautiful in retreat. So also contemplate your internal speech and if the talk in your head is sort of really mean, try to say something nice to yourself once in a while during the day, quietly. So I'd like you to please turn your attention to taking the precept of silence for the period of the retreat and whatever other meanings 
it, it may have for you just now. And the last of the five precepts has to do with uh, intoxicating or recreational intoxicant substances. So we ask you to uh, please refrain from taking those for the period of the retreat to enhance, you know, that you think you might, if you get high, you'd really go deep or something like that. Please don't do that. And alcohol is also not helpful for clarity of mind. So we like you to not do that. If, there's a medication that you take to support your clarity and balance of mind that is uh, recommended to continue because the essence of this precept is really not so much about the substance but about the capacity to be clear and the capacity to make sort of informed choices in our life and in our practice. Um, To be willing to live your life in this um, experiential immediacy as in as balanced and harmonious a way as you can. So I invite you now to turn your mind to the fifth precept and um, please refrain from intoxicants for the period of the retreat, but also just contemplate the uh, beauty of what can be clear about our mind and be willing to support that for the time of this retreat. Thank you. And since the time that we've been sitting here is now almost one hour, I won't uh, invite you to chant these. We'll just uh, leave it with your internal having taken the precepts. Thank you. Before we do a a sitting together and thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and dharma seed please visit dharmaseed.org/donate